want to call your attention to one verse. That's that, that whole whole portion that Skip read. It's a, an amazing passage. And if you ever get caught short and somebody asks you to give a little word from God's word, this is a great chapter. It kind of speaks for itself. But verse 10 it says, I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into these bones, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Keep that in mind, an exceedingly great army. This, this uh, days we're living in kind of make you long for the halcyon days of the 1950s and the Cold War, or maybe the 60s and all the turmoil of culture that I grew up with as a teenager, or maybe the 70s where you know, we're going to whip inflation now. Kind of long to go back to those kind of days. Or the 80s, which are just kind of, I don't know, fairly peaceful. The wall in West Berlin came down and the Iron Curtain opened up. Or maybe the 90s when it was the economy, stupid. You know, you ever long for those halcyon days of yesteryear when we're kind of stuck at home in a lot of different ways and nobody has any good answers? doesn't seem like there's much wisdom to be had and there's no real leaders out there so i was thinking about those uh halcyon days of the 1990s i was pastoring a little church in spearman texas and in 1995 uh, a movie came out a blockbuster called toy story anybody see that man that was a that was a great show i think they made like four different versions of that or four different updates of it and i remember as i was preaching one sunday after that had hit the theaters that my son, who was five years old at the time, his, his sisters were already teenagers, and he was five years old, and we bought him a bunch of those action figures from Toy Story. And they had a Woody that was kind of a limp doll with a plastic hat, and you could pull this string on Woody, and he'd say stuff, you know. He'd say stuff like, You're my favorite deputy. Somebody's poisoned the well. There ain't enough room in this town for two of us. And my favorite was, there's a snake in my boot. And so as I was preaching, and my wife and my five-year-old son were sitting on the front row, instead of hearing amen, I heard, there's a snake in my boot. As my wife reached across and grabbed Woody and held onto the string. And then it started to recoil slowly. You're my favorite deputy. Somebody poisoned the well. Here I was one day, amen, and I got Woody, you know. But at home, safe in the closet, was his sidekick, Buzz Lightyear. And Buzz's favorite saying was, To infinity and beyond! And that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at the grace of God in Christ Jesus. And Paul is so excited about what the Holy Spirit has revealed to him when he was caught up into the presence of God previously, years previously, that he saw this grace as the infinite revelation of the goodness and the power of God and how we had become beneficiaries of it by believing in Christ Jesus. So if you turn with me over to Ephesians in chapter 2, I want to get kind of a running start. I know Howard's done a great job of covering this first chapter in the last couple of weeks but I want to get a running start so I want us to back up to verse 20 in chapter 1 before I do that let's read let's pray together father we look to you today God we look to you because you are great you are immortal you are invisible you are God only wise in light you're inaccessible hid from our eyes 
It's only your glory, God, the brilliance of your wisdom, the beauty of your holiness that hides you, God. It is the glory of God. It is your glory to hide things. It's our glory, God, to search them out. We thank you that you've given us your word to do that searching. You've given your spirit, God, who searches the depths of our being and relates us to you, God, in a way that is immortal. And it is invisible, God. It's infinite. And it awaits to be unfolded in its fullness as we move toward eternity. So, God, we pray that you'd help us take our eyes off of the past, that we would not be nostalgic and waste the present. God, that you would draw our eyes up to your throne where you rule and reign with all authority and power, your Son at your right hand. Father, we pray this day that you would speak plainly to each one of us. God, you see us, you know us, you love us. It's an amazing thing, God, that you love us. We bless you for it. God, that you love us as individuals, not as a group. Not as a group only, God, but as your people, as individuals. Come and speak into where we're at, God, who we are. Lift us up, God. Sustain us and make your name be known in us. We ask it, God, and we thank you for providing your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Ephesians Chapter 1, verse 20, speaks about God worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all and all. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with him, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the amazable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Christ Jesus was raised from the dead after he descended into hell. He rose on the third day. He ascended to the right hand of the Father. And from there he ever lives making intercession. What a great picture. What a great truth. But not only has Christ been raised, but those who believe in him have been raised with him and seated with him in heavenly places. That's better even than the Rocky Mountains. That's better than being in Fritch. To be seated with Christ in the heavenly places. This is the reality of the gospel, that when Christ rose from the dead, you and I who have been baptized into his death rose with him. And we didn't just rise up to live now. We rose up to be seated with him in the heavenly places. He is above every name, over every power, over every dominion, over every authority, not only in this age, but in the age to come. His name is above every name. And if you and I are seated in him by faith in him, 
even though we were the lowest portion of his body, if we were the sole of the foot of Christ Jesus, every enemy, every name would be beneath the authority and the position that God has given us in Christ Jesus. Amen? Or there's a snake in my boot. And if the snake is in my boot, he's beneath my heel. And God has given us authority over serpents and over scorpions and over every power of the adversary. When he raised us up and spoke of that in Ezekiel, it was a great army that he raised up, a victorious people, victorious in Christ Jesus. The book of Ephesians is fascinating, isn't it? It is so powerful. It's just amazing to think how Paul wrote this as he took dictation from the Holy Spirit. He was so excited about what God was saying that he just gave up all the rules of grammar and wrote long, long sentences. He couldn't put his pen down until he finished writing what God had shown him. I want to I recommend a good book to you. There are a lot of good books on Ephesians. But one of the best ones I've ever seen is a little bitty book called Sit, Walk, Stand by a man named Watchman Nee, who was an apostolic figure in China from the 20s until 1949 when the communists put him in prison. He died in prison in 1972. And there were many people, as he was jailed in isolation, that came to faith in Christ Jesus as they heard him down the corridors speaking, repeating great reams of the Word of God and singing hymns and praises to Jesus for 23 years in isolation. This little book, Sit, Walk, Stand, gives a great outline of the book of Ephesians because you and I first have to realize this. We are seated in Christ Jesus. We start our relationship with God by Him raising us up and putting us in a position of rest. You know, when Adam was created on the sixth day, that the first day on the job was a day of rest, wasn't it? Because the seventh day, God said, I've rested from my works. How about that? You ever get a job, you know, you go in, you say, okay, I I want this job. The guy interviews you, said, you're just what we want, man. You're the guy. But I tell you what, we're going to start paying you on Monday, but don't come in the first day you get off. This is where we begin. We begin and rest. But we begin our rest surrounded, really beneath us, from the revelation of Scripture. We have this rest in a place of conflict. He seats us at his banqueting table. His banner over us is love. He makes a table. He has a table setting for us in the presence of our enemies. But we are a mighty army, and we have overcome in Christ Jesus, and we continue to overcome. So when you read through the book of Ephesians, and we'll see it here in the second chapter, in every chapter there is reference to this conflict. Every chapter in Ephesians has reference to the conflict that you and I are engaged in. It has come to us now, this day, this generation. We live in conflict that's maybe different than the 50s or the 60s, maybe different from the 15th or the 16th century, maybe different from the 4th century, but the same conflict nevertheless. We live in this present darkness having conflict with principalities and powers in the heavenly places. But Jesus dwells above them. They are beneath Him, and we've been raised up to be seated in Him. And these things cannot touch what God has given to us, which is His great grace. They cannot overthrow what God has deposited in us, which is the indestructible life of the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. They cannot undo what God has done in lifting His Son up and raising us to sit with Him in heavenly places. This is good news. Though there's a snake in my boot, I've overcome the poison of the viper. 
This is the reality. This is the truth of where we dwell. We dwell in heavenly places even while we're living out these 70, 80, 90 years by strength in my aunt, 106 years to date. But we live in this time seated in Christ Jesus. This is good news. This is great news. This is extraordinary. No wonder Paul was wearing out his quill and using up all of his ink in one fell swoop in writing this letter. So I want you to think with me about Ephesus. Ephesus is a lot like Seattle today. People are in the streets rioting. They don't even know what they're rioting about. No one really knows what it is. People are just stirred up. They're concerned. They have no hope. They're looking for something to anchor to. They want some kind of answer. Guess where the answer is? If you take your phone and turn it on selfie, you're it. Because in you, Christ Jesus dwells. We are, the church is the answer. We are the wisdom of God planted in this generation. Isn't that an extraordinary thing to think about? We have the truth. We walk with the one, we are seated with the one who is the truth. When Paul came into Ephesus and people were right in the streets, it looked a lot like Seattle. It looked a lot like downtown Atlanta. It looked a lot like Minneapolis. Look just like that. This is not a surprise to God, and it's not different for the people of God generation by generation. The problem is you and I have been captured by our culture to a large degree. I was born in the 1950s, early 50s. I'm a boomer. Not a sooner, but a, but a boomer, you know. I was born in the 1950s. World War II was over. Ike was on the throne. Man, the economy was doing good. I've really never known anything in my life externally, but plenty. All of my needs have been met and more. And we've been kind of lulled into sleep, haven't we? We can't afford to be asleep any longer. We have to arise and shine for the light of God has risen upon us even in this dark age. We need to get up and pull the sleepers out of our eyes. We need to get up. We need to do what my dad used to tell me to do on Saturday morning when he'd wake us up early. Rise and shine and give God the glory, glory. Rise and shine and give God the glory, glory. Rise and shine and give God the glory, children of the Lord. Because we live to the praise. We are to live to the praise of God's glory so that the world can see that there is hope. And it's not the economy, stupid. It's not the cry of the 90s. It's not the economy that's important. It's the ethic of the kingdom of God. Righteousness, peace, and joy at the right hand of the Father in the Holy Spirit, seated in Christ Jesus. And so I want you to think with me. We have to start at this place. But we had a problem. We had a great problem. When Paul writes to the Ephesian church, have you ever noticed how the church at Ephesus received this letter? It's a lot different than the other churches received because Paul just jumps right into the deep end of the swimming pool with his theology. God has predestined you. He has chosen you from the foundation of the earth that you might be holy and blameless in Him. He's given you His wisdom. And then he prays for us. He prays, oh God, help us, help them to see. Give them a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and the wealth of grace that's in Him. Because this is really the topic of Ephesians is being in Christ. 
This is Paul's theology. You can read it through his 13 letters. To be in Christ, to be with Christ, to be through Christ, blessed. It's in Christ Jesus. And he prays that we might have the spirit of wisdom and revelation, that the Holy Spirit would invade our space, would renew our minds and fill our souls, that we might know what is the hope of our calling. What a glorious hope. It's just like Buzz Lightyear said. It's to infinity and beyond because it's from God who is infinite. You and I have been sucked up into the flow of God's history and His story. We've been made alive in Christ Jesus when we were dead in our trespasses and sins. And everyone who is born is born dead. The Bible is very clear about this. We're conceived in iniquity. When we come out of the birth canal, we come out dead to God. We're not alive to God. Adam gave that up in the garden for all of us, and we've amended it by the way that we live. Our pride, our lust, our envy, our greed, our gluttony, all of these things reveal that, yes, I was conceived in sin, and I'm a prideful being. I'm lustful, God. I covet my neighbor's stuff. I want more material. I want more of this age. And God said, this age is passing away. And the suffering of leaving behind the things of this age are not worth comparing to the infinity of grace that I have laid up for you. But we're born dead. We're born dead. If you're here today, you're listening to me today, and you don't know Jesus Christ, he's calling your name today. He's calling your name today. He's calling your name as surely as he called Lazarus' name in the graveyard that day. He's saying, Peter, Rene, I love you. Rise up. He speaks through the gospel. He calls us by name. He redeems us. He makes us alive. And he doesn't just leave us in our grave clothes. He puts the righteousness of Jesus on us and lifts us up to be seated in this place of extraordinary privilege and blessing where all the wealth of the inheritance of God are given to us. Man, no wonder Paul is so excited because he knew he was dead until God knocked him off his donkey on the way to Damascus and said, Saul, Saul. Paul said, who are you? He said, you're Jesus. You're Jesus. And he was made alive. And he still carries this reality that when he was dead and his transgressions, his trespasses and his sins, he was made alive in Christ Jesus. He's got to get to the next town. He's got to tell people that are rioting in the squares, that are blind in the synagogues. He's got to tell them about Jesus. Because in Jesus is life. In Jesus is privilege. And Jesus is then the power to fulfill our responsibilities as the people of God. So... Before we met Jesus, we were children of wrath. You know what we're saved from? We talk about, I grew up in a tradition where they talked about getting saved a lot. What are we saved from? We're saved from the wrath of God. That's what we're saved from because God's wrath is against all sin. Always, forever, 24-7, 365 for eternity. God does not put up with sin in light invisible. Hid from our eyes because of our sinfulness. One of these days, those who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, the scales are going to be totally removed. And we're going to see him as he is, and then we're going to be like him. Wow, what a day. What a day. That's better than the MLB coming back and playing 70 games. You hear what I'm saying? That's better than going back to the normal that we had before coronavirus. That's better than any generation that's ever lived has ever known on the face of this globe. What God has in store for us 
He's begun to reveal to us by the Spirit of God who has searched the depths of His being and has searched ours and is pouring into us grace upon grace that we might see more clearly, that we might make steps toward Him. And as we do, we leave behind these good works. But we were born dead. We were children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But listen to this. But God being rich in mercy. Wow, God is rich in mercy. You know what mercy is? That's God's pity for us in our misery. Sin brings misery. Look at our culture. What a miserable place. People are miserable. Even you and I, we, we entertain misery sometimes because we're so ashamed. We're guilt-ridden because we've transgressed the law of God. And we knew better than to do that. But God's mercy is new every morning. He pities our miserable estate. God, who is rich in mercy, loved us and raised us from the death. He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. Grace. Wow, what is grace? Grace is the power of God's life and the soul of a person. Peter uses the same kind of verbiage in 2 Peter. He said, God has granted us his precious and magnificent promises in Christ Jesus so that we have escaped the corruption that's in this world due to sin. Isn't that an amazing thing? God has lifted us up out of death. And he goes on to say, he raised us up with him. Jesus has already been raised. And now we see that we've been raised. We've been raised and seated with Christ in heavenly places. Now here's what Buzz Lightyear was really speaking about. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Think about this. Think about this. God is infinite. We'll never be infinite. We'll always be finite but we'll be glorified in our finiteness. And God has raised us up in order that in the ages to come, he might show to us the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us, all because of grace. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. It's not our own doing. You know, dead people seldom do anything for themselves. Let me say that again, huh? Dead people seldom, as in never, do anything for themselves. That ought to give us a Presbyterian amen. Right? People who are totally depraved, the tea of tulip, if you're a Presbyterian, you know tulip. People who are totally radically depraved, they don't do anything for themselves. They're about as active as Lazarus was. They're about as active as that valley of dry bones was in Ezekiel chapter 37. They do nothing, nada. They can't do anything. Jesus told his disciples, he said, without me you can do nothing. You can't do anything. But I've saved you by grace. It's by grace that you're saved. It's by my great favor, my great power extended to you in the Holy Spirit. This is how you were raised up. It's not because you walked down an aisle and signed a card. No, 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 you've got to be born again. Then faith comes. You're, you're regenerate, and then you'll rise to the fact that, hey, I, I believe in Jesus. I believe in Jesus. Where did this come from? Even that faith is a gift. It's a gift that God imparts to us. He plants that. He makes us alive, and we cry back to him, Abba, Father, we're made alive by the action of God. But we are responsible. Huh? 
We are responsible. This is a mysterious thing. That God is absolute potentate. He is sovereign in every detail over every atom, every molecule, every viral cell. He is absolute potentate. Jesus is the name above all names. You name it, he's Lord of it. He's absolute sovereign. And yet you and I are responsible. We're responsible to the grace that he's given us. We're responsible to his lordship. We bow before him. We confess him as Lord. We say, Lord, I'm responsible to you. We're responsible to him. We respond to him in love. But we are responsible. In the coming ages, God's really going to pull out the stops. We've tasted and known the powers of the age to come. We've been blessed. I've been blessed. Haven't you been blessed? In life, have you not been blessed? Have you not enjoyed life in Christ Jesus? And when you stop to think about how good He is, how great He is, and when you're sitting in your backyard and you're listening to the birds sing and you see the clouds drift across the sky and you hear the wind flutter in the trees and you see the mountains as you drive up off of the plains and you go to the ocean and the waves are rolling in and you see the islands out there and you see all the bird life and all the fish of the sea, are you not grateful? Are you not drawn up out of yourself in worship? Isn't it sad that people that don't know Jesus have nothing to give thanks for? Really, nothing? A new Cadillac? Who wants a new Cadillac when we've got the kingdom of God, when we know God? Have we not been blessed? Wow, we are so blessed. And then to think that I have a lovely wife and three lovely kids and five wonderful grandchildren. I've got parents that raised me to know God and to love God and that I have friends and I have fellowship in the church with, with people that stir me up and encourage me to keep on keeping on man we are so blessed and we see we see what life is about but it ain't nothing yet the immeasurable riches of his grace when we go into the presence of God and for all of eternity he begins to unfold the depth and the breadth and the length and the height his love and his grace do you know that a sparrow flies 26 miles per hour that's about as fast as Usain Bolt can run makes him look a little slower when you're comparing to a sparrow doesn't it but he can he can run about that fast 26 miles an hour do you know if 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 you took a sparrow and you wanted to move the earth from here to Alpha Centauri, which is 4.4 light years. If you wanted to move the earth one grain at a time by sparrow at 26 miles an hour, from here, the orbit of our sun, to the orbit of Alpha Centauri, the nearest star other than the sun, that to take one grain and to come back for the second grain, round trip is 208 million years. Uh, that's quite a bit of time, 208 million years, isn't it? So he takes that one grain, comes back for the second. So when he gets back from taking the second one, that's 416 million years. Did you know by the time that sparrow finishes his task of moving the earth from the orbit of the sun to the orbit of Alpha Centauri, that eternity will just have begun? And through all eternity, the ages to come, God is going to be unveiling to us the mysteries 
and the immeasurable greatness of His grace. Can you imagine a learning curve like this filled with joy and peace and the splendor of being in the presence of God always growing up, always becoming more full, never degenerating, no disease, no time down, no problems, only learning, expanding in our knowledge of the goodness of God in Christ Jesus. That's the expectation of our hope. Paul says, oh, I pray that you might know the hope of your calling, to be in the presence of God, to know Him more and more and more. But in the meantime, he says, God has created us in Christ Jesus for good works, which He prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. What are we supposed to be doing with these 70 or 80 or 90? What are we going to do down here? We're going to be doing good works. I think those good works, not only will they follow us into the presence of God, and not only will they go on, because you and I were designed to work. Adam and Eve were designed to work in a place of paradise. We're going to be working in heaven. But those good works begin now. They begin now showing kindness, forgiving sins of one another. Doing good deeds in order that our Father in heaven might be glorified. Because you and I were made to reflect His glory back to Him. And to enjoy Him forever. And so we've got these good works that God's called us to do. And this is a very astounding thing. We're called to work, and it should be a delight to do the work of God. It is a delight when we begin to realize, hey, this is for my Father in heaven. What I'm doing here really counts for eternity. I'm getting to know Him as I do these works that He's given me to do. And they're peculiar, and they're particular to me and you. Because when God called us, He called us by name, didn't He? He knows our name, and He calls us and designs us. We're fearfully and wonderfully fashioned in order to do particular good works. I can't do yours, you can't do mine. And they're varied, and they're beautiful. Keith Green used to sing about, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. We are His stained glass. Look at that stained glass. All these pieces fitting together to bring the beautiful picture, the image of God into our generation. We were designed, each one, And so we need to know what our gifts are. We need to employ our gifts because we were made to worship, and doing so is worship. Oh, we long to worship. We long. Well, the adversary knows that. This adversary that we read about in the pages of Ephesians, he knows we're made to worship, and he's always trying to distort how we worship. He wants us to worship at the altar of materialism like they did in Ephesus. They built this huge temple. It made Herod's temple Looked like a postage stamp, two acres under roof, 127 pillars, 60 feet tall for a false god. And their whole economy was built around that. Our whole economy is built around falseness. Do you understand that? Do you understand that all the things that we ply for in this age, they diminish and they get used up? They're gone. But the kingdom of God always progresses. And God's made us partakers of the kingdom and the ethic of the kingdom and the spirit of the kingdom so that we might do good works. God has created you and me for good works. And he's prepared those good works that we can walk in them. Isn't that an amazing thing? So we get up in the morning and say, God, show me how to do a good work. Well, look at your neighbor there. What can I do for my neighbor? I may just go visit with him. Maybe I can bless him somehow. Here's a good work right here. Yesterday, Brady and I were with a group of about 50, maybe 60 pastors at Temple of Praise Church on 
East Amarillo Boulevard. Oh, excuse me, West Amarillo Boulevard. Pastor Anthony Harris of St. John's Baptist Church is coordinating an event for June 28th where the churches of Amarillo are going to gather. There's a lot of churches that are going to gather on the Pot- Potter County Courthouse lawn. And we're going to declare that in Christ Jesus, black, white, brown, yellow, whatever color we are, we are one. This is the unity that God's looking for. We are one. This is a good work that we can demonstrate to the world that we are one. We love one another because we have the same spirit. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all, and one spirit. There is one spirit. This is a good work that the church needs to do. And then we walk that out as we go home. And we walk that out because God's created us for good works. Do you know the gifts that God's given you? He's given you gifts. You might think they're not too valuable to God. They're extremely valuable. And he's entrusted those gifts to you and to me. That we might demonstrate who he is in this age. That we might glorify him. That we might honor him. And in the future that we might know the infinite goodness of who he is better and better. So listen to this. I want to close with these few verses from Titus. Another disciple of Paul, who was a pastor on the island of Crete, he tells Titus this, Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. To be a model of good works. Then he says in verse 14 of chapter 2 in Titus, God who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Isn't that something? He says, You show yourself a model and tell the people they're to be zealous for good works. Then he says this in chapter 3 in verse 1. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work. You see a theme being unfolded here in Paul's theology? Because God has greatly gifted us and promoted us and seated us with Christ Jesus. A man who went about, it says in the book of Acts, Jesus went about doing good. And he says, I want my people to be just like that. Go about doing good. Be zealous for good works. He didn't save us because of works done by us in righteousness, because all of our works outside of the Spirit of God are filthy rags. He didn't save us because of the works we did. But he says this, the saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. And finally, and let our people learn to devote themselves to good works. Man, we sound like the United Way. The difference is we're serving a God who rules and reigns forever. His coffers never run dry. And he furnishes us with grace in order to do good works so that when we get into his presence, we can really begin to enjoy doing good, responding, worshiping for all eternity uncovering the grace, the goodness, the person of God, and growing in grace and knowledge forever and ever. Let's pray. Father, we do look to you today, God. You are beyond extraordinary. If it weren't for the fact that our relationship with you is based on faith that is a gift, it would seem unbelievable, incredible what you've done. But we know by your Spirit that you have done it, that you are doing it, that you will do it, God. You have delivered us, you are delivering us, and you will deliver us. Nothing in all creation will stop your purposes, God. And your purposes are to bring us home to you, 
that we might enjoy you forever. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we have no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. God, impress upon our understanding, God, to open us up, stretch us out. Father God, stretch us out. Give us your spirit of wisdom and of revelation. Oh, God, cause us to know the hope of our calling, the glorious riches of our inheritance in Christ Jesus, and we as your portion. And God, make us to know in these days when we're doing good works, the power that's directed toward us for this purpose in glorifying you, the power that raised Jesus physically from the dead, the same power at work in us. Father, we thank you for these great truths, and we pray, Lord, today we might receive them as they are. They're a gift, God, that we would receive them in our brokenness and in our misery, that we would be refreshed by them, renewed in the spirit of our minds, God, that you might be glorified. And we give you praise now in Jesus' name. Amen.